Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm so grateful for our worship team and our production team. These guys do such a fantastic job every week, and I'm so grateful for them, for what they do. Well, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church, and if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 121, uh, what our worship team read for us this morning. We're going to start there, but we are going to jump around a lot this morning in the Bible. Well, I'm excited to get to share with you today in our sermon series uh, called Anchors of Faith. I'm excited to share with you, but I have to admit uh, the format of this sermon series, uh, the format of this morning uh, is stretching me. It it has kind of thrown me for a loop a little bit. Let me tell you why. Uh, Jason asked a few weeks ago, asked if I would preach this Sunday because he'd be just getting back from Brazil. Um, And he said, here's here's what I want for everybody in this this series, that I want you to, to share your story Share your faith story, uh, be vulnerable, and just base it around your life verse. Base it around the, you know, the, the one scripture you have that kind of guides you through life. And I thought, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, not because I don't want to, uh, not because I feel uncomfortable or anything like that. Um, yeah, I don't have a life verse. <laughs> um, and and I, 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 maybe I should feel a little worse about it. I don't, I don't feel like guilty about it. I just, I just don't. I just never have had that one verse that's like, you know, the bedrock for me. Um, and, and other people do, and people that are like more holy than me do, and that's great. Um, I just don't. I just never have. Um, I love the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the scriptures. Um, it's, just, it's almost kind of like having your will written, right? Like, I know I should do that. People who have their life together have that. I just, that's not me. I just, I'm too much of a work in progress. So while I don't have a life verse to speak from this morning, I do, here's what I do have. I have moments in my life where God has been speaking to me. I have moments in my life where God has been leading me. I have moments in my life where God has used the Holy Spirit. He has used circumstances. He's used other people to challenge me and to guide me and to show me who he is. So this morning, I want to share some of those moments with you, some of those scriptures that have become anchors of faith for me. And I don't really love the concept, or I don't really love the idea of talking about myself for 30 minutes. I don't think anybody wants to hear somebody talk about themselves for that long, and and I'm not even that interesting, so it wouldn't be that great. So what I want you to hear this morning is I share four verses that have been really impactful for me, and as I tell some stories along the way, I, I really want you to hear that this is a story about who God is. This is a story about God's faithfulness. And more than anything else this morning, I want you to see that where you plant your feet and where you fix your eyes will determine how well your faith is anchored. Where you plant your feet and where you fix your eyes will determine how well your faith is anchored. I want you to be encouraged this morning to see that That what God is calling you to do, what God is calling you to be, is more worthwhile than anything else you can imagine. So like I said, I'm going to share some verses this morning and tell part of my story as part of each one of those as we go. So the first verse we're going to start in this morning is Psalm 121. I know the worship team just read it, but I want to read it for you here this morning. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. 
The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. It is impossible for me to read this psalm and not think about my mom. This is my mom's favorite verse to text to someone. I can't tell you how many cards I've received with Psalm 121 written out in it. She loves to encourage people with Psalm 121. And my mom's faith is incredibly strong. It's incredibly strong. And in fact, the strength of my mom's faith has been evident to me ever since I was a little boy. In 1991, we were living uh, up in Lake County, Indiana, up in the region, if you're familiar. And uh, from my six-year-old eyes, life was perfect. We were living the dream. Until one day, it wasn't perfect. One day, my dad didn't come home from work. And that one day turned into two, turned into a week, and so on. And I can remember where I was as a little boy in our little house in St. John, Indiana, when I asked my mom, when is dad going to come home? And all she said was, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that we're going to be okay because God's got us. I don't know when your dad's coming home, but we're going to be okay because God's got us. And at six years old, I didn't really fully comprehend what she meant by that. But here's what I did understand. I did understand that God is someone who can be trusted. That God is someone who can be trusted. That faith is made real actually in really hard times, in tragedy. I understood even at six years old that there was something that could be gained from a relationship with God, a power, a hope, a strength, a perspective could be yours through a, strength, through a relationship with God. Look again at Psalm 121. There's this synonymous nature between God and the top of the mountain. It's all throughout the Hebrew text, all throughout the Old Testament, God and the top of the mountain. And it's not some like, uh, like misguided nature worship, right, where, where the Israelite people would have thought that the mountain was God. No, it's a recognition that the creator of the physical world inhabits the physical world and he's active in it. God's power, God's presence is permanent. It's unchanging. He cannot be moved. He can't be pushed around. There's no power in this world that can overcome God and move him off his mountain. He is the king of the mountain. There's no sin. There's no rebellion. There's nothing so strong that he cannot overcome it. The maker of heaven and earth is willing to be your shield, your protector, your safety, your security. He is the king and he will watch over you. He will not let your foot slip. And that's very good news because any protection we try to build for ourselves is going to falter. It's going to crumble. It's not going to actually work out in the end. You can't be smart enough to keep yourself from losing hope in the middle of a tragedy. You can't be successful enough to make it through life living in peace. You can't gain enough money. You can't gain enough stuff on your own to protect 
from what life throws at you. So if you're feeling pushed around this morning, if you feel like you cannot catch a break, if you're lonely, if you feel like life just keeps happening to you, you are in the right place this morning. Our God is big. He is mighty. He is a strong mountain. He will not let your foot slip. He will not forget about you if you will call on his name and trust in his power. Man, when I saw my mom navigate an awful situation with hope and with steadfast faith, that drove an anchor of faith into the ground for me. And Psalm 121 for me and for our family, has become this touchstone to remind each other of how good God is to his children. Well, my parents eventually reconciled, and for a while, life was good again. We moved from northwest Indiana down to the uh, Indianapolis area, and we, uh, our, our family began to get involved in this church that was vibrant and active in the community. And, and uh, you know, for a while there, our family was kind of living out the story of, of grace and renewal. I went off to college, and my plan was to work in a church. My plan was to become a pastor. My, my dad had actually turned his life around, and, and he was now a beloved pastor in our church. In addition to that, he had joined the Air Force, and he was uh, deployed over in the Middle East in the middle of the Iraq War. He was kind of out of communication for a minute, and that's when news started to come out back here in the States of a sinful affair he had been having with someone in our church. And life punched me in the gut again. This time, I did not take the punch very well. Like a, like a bad daytime soap opera, I literally fell to the floor in my college dorm room when I got the call. This time there would be no restoration. This time was different. This time it was public. This time everybody in our community knew about the hurt and the betrayal that had gone on. And this is where my faith story kind of took a left turn a little bit because this was, you know, I was, I was 20 years old. This is where my faith was trying to transition from being about the environment I grew up in to what I was building for myself. And like I said, I did not take that punch very well. I did not handle that handoff all that well. In my heart, a lot of damage had been done. You know, how could this happen again? Why does our family have to experience this again? Why do we have to go through this again? This time publicly, this time in front of everybody. How could the church have let this happen? And these questions, I, I didn't get good answers to these questions in the moment. And so I bailed on God. I just simply bailed. Life was hard for me in that moment, and I walked away. As soon as I could, I changed my major in school. There was no way I was going to work in a church. I was pretty sure I was never going to go to a church. I didn't really know where God and I stood, but I was, it was not, not something I was real interested in at the moment. And the question I kept coming back to was, if life's going to be tough, if life's going to keep hitting, whether I have a relationship with God or not, then what's the point? And like I said, 
I didn't get a good answer to that as fast as I wanted. And so I bailed and I walked away. And I want to pause my story there and take us to our second scripture this morning. Our second scripture, it's actually two. Uh, it's, it's the beginning and the ending of the same story of Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, uh, this is where a, a physical Bible will help you because you can put your finger in there and you can flip back and forth. We're going to start in Mark 14 and we're going to go to John 21. Mark 14, John 21. Again, it's the same story of Jesus. Mark tells the setup. John tells the punchline. Okay? We pick up the story in Mark 14, starting in verse 27, where Jesus has just left, Jesus and his disciples, they've just left the upper room. It's the night before he's going to be crucified. They've had the Last Supper. They've gone through all this stuff. They've left the upper room, and they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to pray with his disciples overnight and be arrested there. They're on their way, and Jesus is having this intense conversation with his closest friends. Jesus knows what's coming in the next few hours. His disciples don't, and he's trying to prepare them. And he tells them something very interesting. Let's look at Mark 14, starting in uh, verse 27. Jesus says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus says, You're going to abandon me. You're going to walk away. Life's going to get tough here in the next few days, and you're not going to handle it well, and you're going to act like you never knew me, and you're going to walk away. But remember the timeline. All this hasn't happened yet. And Jesus is already saying, so here's how we're going to fix it. Here's how you're going to come back. Here's how our relationship's going to get fixed. Meet me in Galilee. Okay, now flip over to John 21. John 21. Starting in verse 1. And pay attention to where this story takes place. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus knew his friends were going to abandon him. They were going to walk away. They were going to bail on him. And before it even happened, he made a plan for how he was going to restore them. Before it even happened, he decided that their relationship with him was worth redeeming. He decided that their wandering would not end their relationship. And then he showed up when and where he said he would. The disciples had forgotten, or at the very least, they just weren't paying attention to where they were. They just went out to fish because they couldn't think of anything else better to do. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly where they would be even before it happened. He knew how to reconcile with them. 
And, and this is my favorite part of the whole story, and he brought a hot breakfast with him as well. I love that about Jesus. Here's a, here's a tip. If you ever need somebody to know that you love them, if you ever need to, somebody to know that you forgive them, bring a hot breakfast. It kind of helps drive the point home. This story in the Bible is an anchor of faith for me because I wandered away from God. But he was compassionate to give me a way back, just like he did with his disciples. And as I look at the compassion of Jesus in the story, I think, oh my goodness, what a God. This is a God I want to follow. This is a God I want to be close to. Because I bailed on him, just like his disciples did. But I got to come home, too. After college, Kelly and I got married, and we moved to, to the Tampa Bay area of Florida because she got a job in the children's hospital down there. And, and we moved down there, and, and I was a wreck. I was an absolute mess. I was unemployed. I was totally unsure about God. I had, no, I, I had nobody to talk to, nobody to share with what was going on. And through kind of some wild circumstances, one Sunday morning, Kelly and I found ourselves going to church, of all places. And as, I mean, I, I distinctly remember driving over the bridge to go to this church and looking over and telling Kelly, we're, go, we're going for one week, one time. This, this pastor had kind of done us a favor with something, and so we said, let's just go show our faces. This will be a way to say thank you, and then we're never coming back. And one week turned into two weeks, turned into a month, and slowly, over time, I began to realize that I was discovering God again at this little church plant in the inner city of Tampa. And through some kind of internal kicking and screaming, I began to come back home, began to mend that relationship with God. A God who was patient and gracious to me in my wandering. A God who knew where to meet me. A God who knew that I needed time and just simply his presence. And eventually, this church plant said, would you help us lead worship on the weekends? And I said, yes. And they said, would you, would you want to be part-time? And I said, yes. Would you want to be full-time? And I said, yes. And before I knew it, I was doing the thing that I had told God I was not going to do. And he was doing the thing that he had always promised to do, restoring me, giving me his presence. And as I look back on those years that we spent, this little church plant in Tampa, I realize now, in hindsight, that was my time on the beach with Jesus, eating a hot breakfast, sitting with my God, healing, being restored. The story of Jesus and his disciples in Mark 14 and John 21, this is an anchor of faith for me because it just illuminates the compassion of our God. The third verse I want to share this morning is from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, just keep going right in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 7. Uh, this, this book of the Bible, it's actually a letter. It's written from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy is a young man, young in his faith, a young leader in the early church, and Paul's trying to encourage him. He's trying to give him some direction and some encouragement in his faith and in what he's doing. Let's read this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 5. 
I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Fear is such a strong motivator in our world. It is a powerful force, and yet it does not come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. You cannot live in fear. You cannot live in fear. That's one of the things Kelly and I probably say most often to each other when we're trying to make a decision, when we're faced with something tough. You cannot live in fear. It's not from God. I don't think any of us consciously choose to be fearful, right? but we all drift into it. Some of us are more prone to others more prone than others to, to operate out of fear, but we all drift into fear, and fear is dangerous. Here's why fear is dangerous. Fear replaces God. Fear says, yes, I know what God says. I know what the Bible says. I know what I should do, but I don't really want to do that because it might require something of me. I don't really want to do that because it might change something that I've built. And so we say no to God. We say no to trusting what he has said. And I am not a naturally fearful person. I'm not, I just, maybe I should be a little bit more, but I'm just, I'm not a naturally fearful person, but I struggle mightily with fear when my mental health is not where it should be. Now, I'm so grateful to Jason and to this church family that this is a safe place for us to be able to talk about our mental health. And so I'm not ashamed this morning to share with you that I struggle with depression. I have for the last 15, 20 years. And just because I'm not depressed today doesn't mean that it's not a part of who I am. Am. And when I am battling depression, I just sort of collapse in on myself, right? And I just get fearful. I get timid. I, I get to a point where I can't see beyond today. I can't see beyond the fact that I'm frustrated with my current circumstance. And then I get fearful. Like maybe I did something wrong in my life to bring this circumstance. Maybe I've created this. And then I just get more fearful and more collapsed, and there's a spiral and a spiral and a spiral. Sometimes that spiral lasts for the afternoon. Sometimes that spiral lasts, and it lasts, and it lasts. And that's what we're dealing with this year. But I say all of that to say that 2 Timothy 1.7 has become an anchor of faith deep within my soul. It's probably the verse that I come back to more often than not. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I know I said at the beginning I don't have a life verse and I don't, but if you pin me down and said, Brad, you can't go to lunch today until you name a life verse, it's probably going to be 2 Timothy verses 1 through 7, or, or chapter 1, verse 7. This has snapped me back to reality. This has given me language to help coworkers and friends and my wife and my kids through tough things in life. This anchor has been driven deep into the ground for me through years and years of being proven true in my life. Speaking of a Bible verse being proven true, I want to take us to our last one this morning. Just keep going right in your Bible. Revelation 21, the very end. Revelation 21. I want to share, or I want to read this verse and I want to share a story that um, hopefully is, is okay to share in church. I think it's, I think we are, right? Revelation 21. Let me, let me read it for us here. Starting in verse 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the, for the old order of things has passed away. For the old order of things has passed away. I don't, I don't have any problem admitting I used to not understand Revelation at all. It was confusing and so I just ignored it for a long time. Um, I'm guessing maybe there's some other people like me. Uh, but about, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, I had a chance, again through some long story, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with this college professor. This guy teaches Revelation at the college level all over the world. And through my friendship with this guy, I began to understand the beauty of Revelation. The beauty of Revelation. You know, Revelation is, is written, it's a letter written to seven churches in the first century. These seven churches are at different, at different points experiencing persecution for following Jesus. They're also experiencing temptation to turn their eyes, to turn their gaze somewhere else. And these seven churches are kind of on a spectrum of how they're handling that persecution and that temptation. I don't know what you, uh, what you think it would be like to work for a church. But I do know that most people I run into have sort of an idealized version for, about what, it, what it's like to work at a church. Um, it's great. I, I love the work that I do. I'm thankful to Jason. I'm thankful to the elders for the opportunities I get. Um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. I, I hope that I hope maybe that's, that's kind of obvious. Sometimes it's, it just kind of feels like work. <laughs> Sometimes it's a, it's a job. And probably like your job, there are days where other people frustrate you. <laughs> and I've got a list of names. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> there are days where meetings don't go well. Okay, maybe you can relate from your job. <laughs> I thought you were still going to be in Brazil, so I... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a chance uh, to be a part of one of these meetings, right, um, where it just it did not go well. And I, I, I will admit that I came out of this meeting hot, and I was mad. I was super mad. And this was, this was a late meeting. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm just, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, and I, you know, sit out in the parking lot here and talk with a couple people for a little while, and after a while, they're like, all right, we're going home, you're crazy. And I'm just like, I'm just so, like, I'm, I'm just agitated, you know? And I, you know, I just like, nobody's listening to me. I can't believe what's going on, the direction I'm up. And so I, I, I get in the car and I drive home and I just got like a, you know, a two minute drive. But even by the time I get home, I'm like, you know, twice as amped up. And so by the time I get inside the house, I'm like pacing around the house and I'm talking to myself, you know, like, I just can't believe what's going on. And they're just not listening to me. I guess I'm the only one that cares about what happens around here. And I'm like, just, I'm crazy. I'm like a lunatic. And in my lunacy, I get this idea that what I should do in this moment, it's like, a, it's like midnight now, what I should do is go upstairs and wake up Kelly <laughs> so that she can know about this meeting and she can tell me how right I am. So I go up the stairs and I go in the bedroom and I'm like making, you know, I'm like bumping into stuff to make noise and she kind of like sits up and looks at me and I'm like, oh good, you're awake. Okay, let me tell you about this meeting. And she, you know, she is so graceful. She gives me... Whew, 10 seconds, you know, which is probably 10 seconds more than anyone should. And she's finally like, why don't you just go outside? And I'm like, that's a great idea. That's what I should have done in the first place. So I get my running shoes on, 
And I go outside, and I am pounding. We have kind of a small neighborhood. I'm just pounding laps, running through our neighborhood. And at this point, it's like 1230 at night. And I'm still doing like the manic, like mad scientist. Like, I just can't believe what's happening. And then it gets to a point where I just kind of run out of words. And, I'm just, and now I'm just praying. And I'm just crying out to God. God, I don't know what to do here. This is confusing. This is frustrating. Like, it shouldn't be this hard. This is church. Everybody should just like get along and sing hymns all day. Like, what is going on? And then after a while, as I'm pounding through the neighborhood, all I can think to say is just the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And thank God none of my neighbors were like out walking the dog or anything. Because here's like crazy old man Barmore at one in the, one in the morning sprinting through the neighborhood just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But as soon as I started saying the name of Jesus, something happened. As soon as I started. Like somebody just turned on a floodlight. Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4, just boom. It came to me. That the old order of things will pass away. And I realized, like somebody flipping a switch, what, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? This has nothing to do with what is important. I have taken my gaze from Jesus and put it on my present circumstances. But when Jesus comes back, when the world gets put to right, is anyone going to care whether this meeting was bad or good? No, not at all. And as soon as I call on the name of Jesus, in my crazed, you know, manic state. It was like somebody popped a balloon. Just and All that anger, all that frustration, it was like that meeting had just never happened. And the peace of God came on me. It was like, imagine like the fluffiest robe at the hotel you could never afford to stay at. Like, this is what it felt like. Just, oh, yeah, this makes a lot more sense. This makes a lot more sense. And I share all that to say that that Bible verse had come into my mind 12 years beforehand. And I was sitting with my friend Shane, and he said, there are, there are going to be parts of the whole Bible, of course, but there are going to be parts of Revelation that you understand intellectually now. But you're going to need to lean on them later. And in that moment, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, was something that I needed to lean on. I needed to know that it was true, that we're going to be okay in the end. I needed to know that it was true, that we're going to be all right and that the old order of things will pass away. That the things that don't matter, they're just, they're just not going to matter. And I leaned on it in that moment. And it worked. It worked. The promise of God came true for me. My story is unique to me. But it's not without connection to you. Like I said at the beginning, I'm here this morning not to talk about Brad, but to talk about God. If I can encourage you in anything this morning, it is to anchor yourself in the person of Jesus, to anchor yourself in the power of God, to anchor yourself in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, because people will disappoint you. Jobs will not sustain you. 
money and things, those things are fine, but they cannot deliver on the promise that they make to you. Jesus, and only Jesus, can sustain you when there is trouble. And there's going to be trouble. That is a guarantee. There is going to be trouble. But Jesus has already overcome the trouble. And he invites you to overcome it with him. I've been praying for each one of you that you would have these anchors of faith, whether it be one or multiple in your life, that you can lean on when the trouble comes. I'm praying for you that you would have these anchors of faith that dig deep into the ground of your soul. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its encouragement to us. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, that we can have a hope because of who you are and because of what you've done. God, we thank you for the peace that we can enjoy because of you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.